Welcome, my name's Sarah Hudson and in today's echocardiography chat I'm going to talk you through 10 ways to assess the severity of aortic regurgitation. The basis for this conversation is the British Society of Echocardiography's 2012 guidelines, the European Association of Cardiovascular Imaging's 2013 recommendations and the American Society of Echocardiography's 2017 recommendations. So the initial point that you usually become aware of aortic regurgitation is when the colour flow mapping is put over the aortic valve and you can see the regurgitation. It's so tempting to want to just jump in and quantify it immediately based on, for example, the jet length. But the jet length is dependent on the driving forces, the diastolic pressure. So a more comprehensive assessment, including quantitative, semi-quantitative and other qualitative criteria is necessary to begin to draw conclusions. And I'm going to go through 10 of these in the podcast today. Since the initial sighting of aortic regurgitation is likely to be in the parasternal long axis view, let's begin with two criteria, both semi-quantitative, that can help assess severity in this view. Number one, the vena contractor. This is the narrow neck of the regurgitant flow occurring at or immediately downstream of the regurgitant orifice. It should be measured with a Nyquist limit set to 50 to 60 centimetres per second. Less than 0.3 centimetres is suggestive of mild AR and greater than 0.6 centimetres is suggestive of severe AR. This is a useful and easy semi-quantitative measure of AR and can be used in eccentric jets, but it's less useful when there are multiple jets or there is a bicuspid valve. So if a vena contractor is method number one, the second method that can be applied in the same view is the LVOT diameter by the jet width diameter method. This involves comparing the regurgitant jet width to the LVOT diameter should be done within one centimetre of the aortic annulus. A jet width of less than 25% of the LVOT suggests mild AR, whilst greater than or equal to 65% of the LVOT suggests severe AR. However, note that this may underestimate AR in eccentric jets and overestimate AR in central jets. And it's also obviously affected by the size of the, A the LVOT. So if a patient has a particularly large LVOT, it might make the AR look relatively insignificant when it might be quite considerable. Whilst you're in the parasternal long axis view, make sure to get a note of the LVOT diameter as this will be needed later. Just as a reminder, the measurement of the LVOT diameter is done in systole. So method one with the vena contractor, method two, the jet width versus the LVOT diameter, and then method three, which is done in the parasternal short axis view, is one that's uniquely present in the American guidelines. And this suggests comparing the jet cross-sectional area to the LVOT cross-sectional area in the parasternal short axis view. They give less than 5% as being consistent with mild AR, whilst greater than or equal to 60% is consistent with severe. This should be measured within one centimeter of the vena contractor and it risks either under or overestimating the jet area dependent on its shape and direction. So method one was the vena contractor, method two was a jet width compared to the LVOT diameter, and method three was a cross-sectional area method uh, in the parasternal short axis view. If we move on down to the apical five chamber view, you would drop a continuous wave Doppler through the aortic valve to get a Doppler trace of the AR, which can be used for multiple different assessment methods. So let's talk about some of those. For method four, you just have to look at the density of the AR regurgitant trace. 
The density is a function of the number of red blood cells in the sample, so a dense signal suggests more AR. And the guidelines say that a dense signal suggests at least moderate AR, and on the other hand, a faint trace suggests only mild AR. The EACVI guidelines are slightly scathing of this method, stating that it does not provide useful information about the severity of AR, but it's still a useful one to have in the toolkit. Moving on to method five, which is less controversial, the measuring of the jet deceleration rate, more popularly known as the pressure half time, which is using the slope of the continuous wave trace. Mild AR is defined as a pressure half time of greater than 500 milliseconds, whilst severe AR is less than 200 milliseconds. Bear in mind, however, that raised LV end diastolic pressure will shorten the pressure half time, so it could lead to an overestimation of the AR. However, if you've got a long pressure half time, this is very reassuring in terms of excluding severe AR. Whilst the continuous wave Doppler trace is still up, you should draw around it to get the VTI of the regurgitant jet and also the peak regurgitant velocity, as you will need these for methods 6 and 7. Method 6 is the effective regurgitant orifice area method. Its size can be used to help quantify the severity of regurgitation. In aortic regurgitation, an area of less than 0.1 cm squared is consistent with mild AR, whilst greater than or equal to 0.3 cm squared is consistent with severe. The EACVI guidelines and the AASE recommendations add in more nuance, offering 0.1 to 0.19 cm squared as mild to moderate, and 0.2 to 0.29 cm squared as moderate to severe. So how is the effective regurgitant orifice area calculated? The recommended way is using the PISA method. And for this, you need to know three things. The PISA radius, the aliasing of velocity the PISA was radius was measured at, which can be found on the color scale, and the peak velocity of the regurgitant jet, which is measured from the continuous wave Doppler. You should make a note of where in the cardiac cycle you measure the peak velocity of the regurgitant jet as you need to measure the PISA radius at roughly the same time as the peak velocity. But what exactly is PISA? So as a brief recap, PISA stands for Proximal Isovelocity Surface Area and it is the dome shaped formed as the blood flow converges towards the orifice, with the closest to the orifice being the smallest layer with the highest velocity. The PISA is measured at the aliasing point, which is where the flow changes colour. To find the best PISA to measure, move the colour Doppler baseline in the direction of the regurgitant flow to find the best Nyquist limit to give a hemispheric PISA. The PISA may be measured in either the apical five chamber or the parasternal long axis view, depending on the direction of the regurgitant jet. Once you have the PISA radius, the effective regurgitant orifice area can be calculated by the equation 2 times pi times the PISA radius squared multiplied by the aliasing velocity divided by the peak velocity of the regurgitant jet. Just to go over that again, the effective regurgitant orifice area can be calculated by 2 times pi times the PISA radius squared multiplied by the aliasing velocity divided by the peak velocity of the regurgitant jet. The effective regurgitant orifice area can then be multiplied by the VTI of the regurgitant jet to give a regurgitant volume, which I will talk more about in method seven. 
Now, if you wanted to calculate an effective regurgitation orifice error, but you did not have a PISA, which you often don't, you can see how the equation that I've just mentioned to find the regurgitant volume could be rearranged to give you the effective regurgitant orifice area if you already knew the regurgitant volume by a different method. So, as the effective regurgitant orifice area multiplied by the VTI of the regurgitant jet equals the regurgitant volume, so the regurgitant volume divided by the VTI of the regurgitant jet would give you the effective regurgitant orifice area if you already knew the regurgitant volume via one of the other methods that we'll discuss in method seven. Effective regurgitant orifice area gives a quantitative assessment of AR severity. Limitations include not being able to attend a obtain a PISA, for example, due to valve calcifications causing dropout, or there being multiple jets, which also would make this method invalid. So let's move on to method seven, which is another quantitative measure, AR regurgitant volume. Less than or equal to 30 mils is defined as mild aortic regurgitation, while greater than or equal to 60 mils is severe. We've already discussed in method six a way of calculating the regurgitant volume from the effective regurgitant orifice area and the regurgitant jet VTI. So the regurgitant volume is the effective regurgitant orifice area multiplied by the VTI of the regurgitant jet. Let's label this method in our head is method 7.1. An alternative method that we can label 7.2 involves calculating the stroke volume in the LVAT, then taking away the stroke volume of the mitral valve. Um, this only works if there is an MR. If there is MR, using the stroke volume of the pulmonary valve would be an alternative. The stroke volume of the LVAT can be calculated by 0.785 multiplied by the LVAT diameter squared then multiplied by the LVOT VTI. The stroke volume for the mitral valve is calculated likewise, but with the mitral valve diameter and the mitral valve VTI instead. So 0.785 multiplied by the mitral valve diameter squared multiplied by the mitral valve VTI. It's important to note that the mitral valve VTI needs to be done with a pulse wave Doppler at the mitral valve level, not at the tips of the mitral valve like you'd normally do for the EA ratio measurements. As a reminder, the mitral valve annulus is measured in mid-diastole. So that was method 7.2, taking away the stroke volume, uh, the mitral valve from the stroke volume at the LVOT. Method 7.3 uses the stroke volume in the LVOT but then uses the difference between the LV end diastolic and end systolic volumes instead of the mitral valve stroke volume to calculate the regurgitant volume. So method six gave us the effective regurgitant orifice area, which can then be built upon to get method seven, the regurgitant volume. And this can then be built upon again to get method eight, the regurgitant fraction. So method eight, the regurgitant fraction. As the name suggests, this is the regurgitant volume divided by the LVOT stroke volume multiplied by 100. Less than 30% is defined as mild aortic regurgitation, greater than or equal to 50% is consistent with severe aortic regurgitation. 
After lots of equations, let's now move onwards and literally upwards to method nine, which is looking for diastolic flow reversal in the descending aorta. To do this, you can first look at the color flow mapping, uh, remembering that blue flow moves away from transducer and red flow is moving towards the transducer. So if you're seeing red flow in the arch coming back up, uh, this is suggestive of diastolic flow reversal. An M mode with color can also be helpful as this shows how much of diastole flow reversal occurs in. Because remember that brief early diastolic flow reversal can be normal. Next, if you put a pulsed wave Doppler just distal to the left subclavian, you can illustrate the diastolic flow reversal. Um, hollow, di hollow diastolic flow reversal is consistent with at least moderate AR, whilst an end diastolic flow reversal velocity, which you can measure on the R wave, if this is greater than 20 centimetres per second, it is consistent with severe AR. Now, as an aside, remember that there are causes other than AR for flow reversal in the descending aorta. So if you've done an entire scan with no suggestion of AR and then there's flow reversal, you need to think about other possible reasons such as decreased compliance of the aorta in the elderly, um, a left to right shunt across a PDA, an upper limb arteriovenous fistula, um, a ruptured sinus of Valsalva, or even more dramatically a dissection. Also remember that severe AR may not be holodiastolic if it's acute or if the patient is very bradycardic. When you're looking at your trace of the flow reversal with the pulse wave Doppler, the VTI of the forward versus reversed flow can give a rust estimate of the regosian fraction, but variations in the aortic size prevent this from being fully quantitative. So finally, let's move on to method 10, the abdominal aorta. Now, cardiologists tend to avoid this. It is below the diaphragm after all. But if you can find it and there's holodiastolic flow reversal here, it's more specific for severe AR than it is up near the arch. So there you have it. 10 methods to assess AR severity via echocardiography. One final summary of all of them. Method 1, vena contractor, less than 0.3 centimetres mild, greater than 0.6 centimetres severe. Method two, jet width by the LVOT diameter, less than 25% mild, greater than or equal to 65% severe. Method three, the cross-sectional area method in the parasternal short axis view, with less than 5% being mild, greater than or equal to 60% severe. Method four, the density of the AR trace, with a dense trace suggesting of at least moderate aortic regurgitation. Method five, the pressure half-time method, with greater than 500 milliseconds being mild and less than 200 milliseconds being severe. Method six, the effective regurgitant orifice area method with less than 0.1 centimeters squared suggesting mild AR, greater than or equal to 0.3 centimeters squared suggesting severe. Method seven, the regurgitant volume with less than 30 mils being mild, greater than or equal to 60 mils being severe. Method eight, the regurgitant fraction, less than 30% suggesting mild AR, greater than or equal to 50% severe AR. Method nine, looking for flow reversal in the descending aorta. And method 10, looking for flow reversal in the abdominal aorta. Many thanks for listening and do get in touch via Twitter at Sarah Hudson UK. Do join me again next week for echocardiography chat in which we'll be discussing four other factors to consider when assessing aortic regurgitation.